years ago, I went to a conference in a church that met in a mall. Now, when I'm talking about a mall, I mean bigger, not, not Palestine mall, bigger even than Tyler mall. And so think about it this way. Um, let me see if I can get this to stay on. It's not, this is a better one, but we'll have a better one by next week too. Uh, better than what we've been having. Um, so let's say JC Penney would be the worship center. And then um, Burks would be the children's area and the Blue Cross Blue Shield, that would be like um, the, the youth area. And they had all of these kiosks down the middle of this place. And as I walked around, I was just shocked at this place. And, and then I found out that someone gave it to them. Someone gave them a mall for their church. And I was so envious. I walked around and I had the, the biggest case of steeple envy I've ever had in my life. Now, you may not know what steeple envy is, so we put it up here. Steeple envy, discontent and ill will, ill will over another church's steeple building, offering equipment, furniture, staff, location, or anything else you want to fill in the blank with. I was envious because they had something we didn't know at the time. We were meeting on the third floor of the old First Baptist building downtown, and, and we used to say only the brightest people in Palestine could worship with us because they're the only ones who could find us. We were hidden back there. And, and so when, when I'm talking third floor, we, we actually carried a 90-year-old woman up the steps one time because she couldn't make it up the steps, and she was a good friend of ours, wanted to come to church. And so anyway, I had steeple envy. Now you may not have had steeple envy, but I'm willing to bet everyone here has had a little bit, at least a little bit of ill will towards someone else's good fortune. Let me, let me give you an example. Have you ever been fine with your vehicle until you drive around in your friend's brand new car and suddenly your piece of trash just won't cut it anymore? Okay, couple. All right. How about this one? Have you ever been perfectly content with your house until you went to their house? Uh-huh. Have you, how many of you dreaded your 10-year high school reunion? Why do we do that? Because we're afraid we won't measure up. Now, believe it or not, I did not win the bald man award at my 10-year reunion. I could win it now, but I didn't. And, and I didn't even know I was going bald until I was at Southside. I was baptizing somebody and somebody took a picture from up top, you know, because you go down into the valley and they're up here and they took a picture and I saw this massive bald spot on the top of my head and, and they showed me the picture and I went, dude, I'm going bald. And Janie was much too nice to say anything about it, but my friends were like, man, we've known it for years. You've just been pretending, you know, you've lost it a long time ago. So that's when, that's actually the moment I said, I'm done pretending. And I started shaving my head that day. I thought, I'm just, I'm just going all the way. I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to go bald. Um, <laughs> but at my high school reunion, my 10-year reunion, lots of people were dreading that. And, and I remember Janie and I went and we sat, it was at the country club, the same place we had our prom and they acted just like it was prom night 10 years prior to that. And there's people getting wasted and spiking the punch and all this stuff. Well, we're sitting at a table with, with four other couples that I'd grown up with and, and that none of us were drinking. So we're having a great time. Just we dance and we would talk and we're just having the best time. And one of my best friends, her name's Debbie Carter and Debbie, blonde hair, blue eyed, beautiful girl, but we'd never dated. We were just good friends, like a sister to me. We went to church together. We went to youth camp together. We uh, went on a choir tour back when they did choir tours. Our youth choir went all over southern um, United States on a choir tour to Tennessee and, and all of that stuff. And, and so we were really, really good friends. Well, Debbie walks up and she looks right at Janie and she goes, is that your wife? And I said, yeah, Debbie, this is, this is Janie, Janie, Debbie. And she goes, she's gorgeous. And later, Janie goes, I like her. You know? I mean, sure, who wouldn't? And, and, and then I looked at the other four men, and I was like, ha, ha, ha. No, I didn't. I didn't. 
I could have, but I didn't. We're all good friends and they all had beautiful wives. But, but here's, here's the point. We all are envious of somebody somewhere sometime. Think of it this way. Um, how many of you have ever had car envy? Anyone? Okay, a couple. How many of you have ever had clothing envy? Somebody else has something nice, you know, even years ago, I, you know. Okay, in this crowd, really, do not raise your hand. All right, I'm just using this as an example. How many of you have ever had kid envy? I wish I had their kid. In fact, I, a friend of mine had a, had a son named Caleb, and there were times we'd go, dude, do you want mine? No. you want mine? No. Right, you know. Um, have you ever had house envy? Here's another one. Please do not answer this out loud. Have you ever had spouse envy? <laughs> and there's a lot of the problem not following instructions. Um, all of us, the point is all of us suffer in some area and some of us are going to suffer a lot more after this message today because you just, we're stupid. Um, as we start this sermon today, I want to put on the screen a list of everything you're owed by the world. You ready for this? How many of you have seen that on Facebook? You've seen that before, right? This is what the world owes you. Big fat zero. But we think, I deserve it, right? That's where this is coming from. Now, who is the enemy of God? Satan, which makes him your enemy as well. And your enemy has some weapons. And, and I'm going to show you a picture of bow fishing here. Now, in bow fishing, the, the, the fisherman has an arrow, and he's looking. I've not done it. I've seen it. I've watched him shoot that, that fish. And, and here's the thing. The, the arrow is barbed so that it does maximum damage, and they'll show that next one, Travis. They'll reel it in. There's a string attached to it. So not only do they shoot it, but it sticks, and then they reel it in. There's a little reel. See it on the bottom of that, that picture there of the bow? They reel that fish in. Now, here's the deal. Your enemy has some arrows, and we've been talking about these arrows. We talked about about anger and the, he shoots these arrows into your heart and these arrows are hideous because they're poison arrows the longer they stay in your heart the more damage they do but not only are they poisonous he also has this string attached to him more like a leash and if you allow it to get in your heart and get lodged in your heart he jerks and and he says to you um you, you you start to follow the lord you go to youth camp and you follow the lord or you go to a conference whatever you begin to follow the lord and he goes oh no you don't and he pulls you back over here and you all of a sudden have this emotional outburst and you don't even know where it came from it just comes out of you well, what we've been talking about for several weeks now is if it comes out of your mouth it started in your heart we've been talking about jesus he said this your words come from your heart and not just your words. He said, if you do anything mean, evil, it starts in your heart long before it gets to your mind, long before it becomes an action, it starts in your heart. And Satan, our enemy knows this, so he goes for our heart. He knows the word of God better than we do. So he knows if he controls your heart, he can pull you around wherever he wants to. He controls your life if he controls your heart. And that's what led Solomon to say this, our theme verse is from Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do comes from it. Now, so far we've looked at two of these poisonous arrows. The first one we talked about was guilt. Guilt says, I owe you. I've done something wrong. I owe you something. And we said that guilt is like this weight. And as that poison spreads in your heart, the weight gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And the, the only way that you can get rid of it, according to God's word, is to develop a habit and that habit is, you remember what that habit was to get rid of guilt? It just blesses a preacher's heart when you can't remember something from, from two weeks ago. Nobody in first service could either. Travis is reading it. 
He didn't even remember from first service. Not okay. Confession, but we said confession not to God, but to the other person. The reason you're not getting over your guilt is because you're confessing to God and you're telling God some stuff, but you need to tell the person. That's how you take that weight off. Next, we said that anger says, you owe me. You've done something, you've hurt me, and I'm going to make sure you pay. I'm going to make sure you pay more than what you did to me because I'm mad at you, and you'll, I'll never trust you, and I'm going to wear you out. And it becomes like this wildfire that, that consumes everything in its path. And the Bible says, don't carry the hot coals of anger more than 24 hours. But we said there's even something worse when you carry the hot coals of anger from season to season. And several people wrote on their cards last week, I've got season to season anger. And so this struck a nerve. And we said there's a, there, there is a habit, according to God's word, that will allow you to get rid of the hot coals of anger. And it's called forgiving. And we said that forgiving means to cancel the debt. And so you say, once and for all, I've canceled that debt. And whenever Satan brings it back up, he shoots that arrow at you. If you have the shield of faith, you can extinguish that fiery dart. If you don't, you have to recognize it, get it out, and cancel the debt. Now, today's monster is jealousy. If you remember when you were a kid, that was a long time ago for me. So maybe my children, or now that I have a grandson, I think about them. And, and you're playing, and your Tonka truck is awesome until... The rich neighbor comes driving up in his Tonka truck. And his Tonka truck has a girl and shade. And all of a sudden, your Tonka truck isn't good enough anymore. And you're not just going to trade your Tonka truck with that boy. You want to put yours in the back, knock him out, and take his girl and his shades and drive off, right? Insidious we are with this jealousy thing. But, but see, surely, surely, surely nobody in this church is jealous ever, right? Right? Oh, yeah. Maybe you don't like someone and you don't even know why. And you say, I just don't like them. Chances are, if you dig underneath the surface, you're going to find some jealousy. Man, I am having trouble. You're going to find some jealousy there. Or envy. Maybe that's a better term. Is envy a better term than jealousy? Jealousy sounds like a little kid thing. Envy, that's, a, that's an adult problem. They're the same. Envy or jealousy show up when they have something or someone you don't. Mm, they have a job you wish you had. They have a car you wish you had. They have a position or popularity or a girlfriend. I wish that I had Jesse's girl. That's a whole song about I wish I had somebody else's girlfriend. Came out in 1981. I had to look that up this morning. And rather than admit that we have jealousy in our heart, this poison in our heart, you know what we do? We avoid people that stir up our jealousy. I just can't stand him, so I can't be around him. Well, why? Well, he's just too nice. Man, I don't like to be around nice people. I don't know about you. That's a great reason. She's too fake. I'm not comfortable around her. Why? Because she's too pretty. I don't like pretty people either. Right? <laughs> Here's one of my favorites. If I had that much money, there's no way I would buy one of those, said with total sincerity and the utmost self-righteousness. Let's just be real. There's no way to know what you would do with that much money unless you had that much money. And with an attitude like yours, I'm pretty sure you're not going to have that much money. So shut up. Just shut up. 
Why are you critical of them? Bottom line is there's jealousy. There's envy in your heart. You may have dressed it up, but the bottom line is you have something, they have something or someone you don't, and for that reason alone, you don't like them. Here's what's so deceptive about this attitude. We act like it's their problem that my heart is poisoned. We want to blame them for their success or the way they look or the stuff they have. Well, whose problem is it? Whose problem is it? Mine, yours, yours, not mine, your, no, mine, it's our problem. See, Satan has shot your heart with this arrow of jealousy and you say things like, it's just not fair. My husband works as hard as hers, but he didn't get what her husband got. It's just not fair. My kids are just as talented, just as smart, just as good looking as hers, but they didn't get what hers did. That's not fair. If my kids, my husband, my family were in the right place at the right time, we would have all of that stuff that we should have had that they have. It's just not fair. Well, let me just tell you something. You don't want fair. You don't want fair. Fair would be at the snap of my fingers. All of us would be equal in everything. On the count of three, all of us would have the same wealth, the same talents, the same looks, the same brains, the same athletic ability. And you may be thinking, what's wrong with that? We're going to put that on the screen. I want you to say that. Put it on the screen. What's wrong with that? Say it. If everything were fair, everything were equal, most of you in this room would take several steps backwards. I I was looking at Facebook yesterday and we saw that somebody uh, got to go to the church we were supposed to go to in Haiti. And Janie goes, what are they doing at our church? Right? Like it's our church. And so that everything's back to normal in Haiti and they got to go there. We sent money down to, to, uh, for them to make repairs, but we didn't get to go. This church got to go. And I started thinking about this. Okay, so if everything's fair, you would have the same house today, right now, that my friends in Haiti have. Like the picture that they were working on, 11 people in a one-room house. No running water, no electricity, some, no doors. They were building another room so that they could have six in one and, and five in the other. You want fair? You want fair? Then, then my friends in Haiti this morning and at Jacques Mel got up, put on their nicest clothes, and they walked, some of them, one, two, or three miles to church to worship the risen Savior. You want fair? That's up what we call Heartbreak Hill. If you've been there, it's serious. They walk willingly. Some of you... We've got a, we got a church member that's less than a mile from, we've got a couple of church members less than a mile from the church. You don't want to walk that far, much less up Heartbreak Hill. You don't want fair. Or in, in, in Belize, they have church at, in Belize at night because it's so stinking hot during the day. They don't have electric, well, they have electricity. They don't have air conditioning. You want fair? You have the same mode of transportation. You have the same income as the poorest people in Haiti or Belize in, or in Houston. We're going to go to Houston in January to work on some homes that have not been repaired from, from the hurricane. Uh, what was it? Harvey. Harvey. Started to say Katrina. That was a long time ago. Let's be real transparent today. You don't want fair. You want more. You don't want fair. You want more. You want to be even with her or maybe a little ahead of her. You want to drive what she drives, wear what she wears, fit into what she fits into. And God says, do you really want fair? And you go, oh, no, because then I would have to take a step back. What I really want, God, is more. We need an excuse for this monster, and, and, and we, we come up with all kinds of excuses. And then we say, there has to be a reason I don't like him or her. Well, there is. It's, it's jealousy. And here's the weird thing about jealousy. Even if you had more, it wouldn't be enough. Do you know that? You know why it wouldn't be enough? Because jealousy isn't a stuff issue. It's a heart issue. 
If you had more, your jealousy would not go away. It would just transfer to the next person ahead of you because there's always somebody ahead of you. How much you have, what you drive, where you live, that's not the issue. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. We want to believe it's a people issue, but it's a heart issue. It's not him, her, or any category. Married, rich people, skinny people, athletes, bald people. By the way, nobody ever wants to be in the bald people category. Let me just say that. Nobody has ever said, man, I love your lack of hair. What they say to me is, dude, at least your head is shaped well. <laughs> what they're saying is you got a ball-shaped head. Woo, yay for me. And this is so bad that when we went on Hannah's senior trip, I was wearing a white do-rag because I refused to get my ball-shaped head sunburned. I don't like to be sunburned, so I'm wearing a do-rag, and I get bored laying on the beach, and they like to lay on the beach, and it just makes me crazy. So after a while, I have to go swim. And my deal is, Janie always looks out to wherever the barrier is because I swim to whatever barrier. I don't care how far it is. I'll swim to whatever barrier where they say you can't swim anymore, and they start yelling at you and blowing whistles. So I swim to the barrier, and then I swim this whole thing, and then I walk back up the beach, and I lay there till I get hot and bored, and then I go do it again. Well, one time, um, I have this white do-rag, and that's how they kept up with me. And Rachel's kind of been sleeping or whatever, and she sits up, and she goes what's dad doing over there by the pier? I mean, like dangerously close to the pier, like I'm going to die, be smacked into the pier. And Janie goes, Rachel, that's a buoy. (laughs) She goes, dad's over there. I'm never wearing a stinking white do-rag to the beach again because my head looks like a buoy. See, whatever category that you identify that bothers you, the reason it bothers you is because you're not in it. Bald people don't bother you. But whoever does bother you, you're bothered because you're not in that category. That comes from your heart. If you think think I'm your problem, if I think you're my problem, then I distance myself from you. We think everything will be okay, but that's not the truth. You aren't my problem. You know how I know you're not my problem? Because you can't solve my problem. When we focus our attention on what others have, we totally miss our real problem. See, Satan pulls the strings, pulls us back, come over here, come over here. And he does this little happy dance because the poison is spreading and he's got you where he wants you. Do you know the only thing that, that the person who makes you jealous can do to make you feel better about yourself? When bad stuff happens to them. Oh, you wrecked your $75,000 car. Did you just laugh? No, 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 no. I was watching America's Funniest Home Videos and something just happened. It's funny. You wrecked your car? Did you see her at the beach? She doesn't look like she looked last year. And suddenly I feel better about me. Today's good because the object of my jealousy failed in some way. See, the only, person, the only thing a person can do to help you with your jealousy is to fail or lose something. Oh, you had to pull your kids out of private school. I'm so sorry. Oh, you got a bald spot on the top of your head. I'm so sorry. I'm not bitter at all about my bald head. <laughs> I'm really not. I don't think about it most of the time, except once a week when I shave my bald head. The people you're focusing on aren't your problem. You're the problem. Now, because it's gotten a little too serious, I think I need to have a giveaway right now. We're going to lighten the mood a little bit. And so I need to know, uh, would anybody here like a, a brand new iPod Touch? Anybody want a brand new iPod Touch? You've got to raise your hand. If you're not going to raise your hand, you're not going to be invited. Is that Mary over there? Mary, come on up. I, I need three volunteers. Three volunteers. Okay, Aiden, come 
on up. Uh, who's next? Katie, Katie, come on up. All right, stand in line. All right, I'm going to give each of you a gift, and we're going to celebrate this gift, if I can remember. All right, here we go. Let's see. Uh, Katie, come over here. All right, Katie, there. Hold on to that. Don't open it yet. All right, Mary, here's yours. And here is Aiden's. All right. Now, do not open yours. Come on up here so everybody, y'all are back in the dark a little bit. Okay, Katie's going to open hers first. And I always forget to tell you this. Because you're in here, I'm going to tell you right now, please stop taping the boxes shut when you do this because we can't get in them. So I have, I know, I know, but, but we can't get in them. And it takes, makes the illustration long. Okay, go ahead and open. I love you. And she does, I don't wrap them because I, I suck at wrapping, but she's, she's really good and you can't get in it. So I have a knife here to help me, and I'm going to hold it so I don't hurt you. All right. Katie, go ahead and open that up, and let's see what you got. Go ahead and start opening yours, Mary. What do you got in there? Show them. It is, it is an iPod Touch. Everybody clap. Okay, it's brand new. Never been out of the box. All right, here we go. Let's see what Mary got. See what I'm talking about, ma'am? <laughs> All right. Let's see what Mary's got. There's something in there. Oh, it's not an iPod Touch, but it is a $100 gift card to iTunes. Woo! Woo All right. Go ahead, Aiden. Let's see what Aiden's got today. All right, let me help you out here, brother, because you ain't getting in there. Not in Janie's present. <laughs> and we almost stabbed people in the first service, so that's why I did that. Let's see what Aiden got. Aiden got an apple. <laughs> now, Katie got what she came up here for, right? And so she's thinking, that looks pretty cool. Mary, if I had just said an iTunes gift card, a $100 iTunes gift card, Mary would think, Doug's pretty cool. But Mary's going, that's about half of what hers cost. Doug sucks. <laughs> and then Aiden. Now, if, if he was a vegan or whatever, you know, and I just said, hey, have an apple, he'd be going, oh, that Doug's pretty nice. But the problem is he saw the Apple iPod touch, saw the gift card, and then he is an apple. Now, here's the deal. If you take me out of the equation, totally take me out of the equation, where do they focus? Where's the only place they can focus? And so Katie goes back, she's going, dude, I like this church. Mary's going, well, it's okay. And Nathan's going, I'm going down the road next Sunday where they don't insult me. Now, I thought about this and I thought, you know, it needs to be fair. I, I, could get, I could get the same prize for everybody, but I'm not going to. Because that's not how life works. Now, y'all can all go sit down and you can actually eat that. And, and... No, 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 no. This is yours. You don't, I don't care. I don't care. I gave it to you. I don't care what you like. <laughs> I chose to give you an apple. You take it, sucker, and you'd be grateful. Now, here's the deal. If they focus... On each other, they get jealous, but if they focus on the giver of the gifts, 
they'll realize their anger is directed at me. How dumb would it be for Aiden to get mad at Mary or at Katie? Who should he be mad at? He knows I knew what was in the gifts. Janie marked them down. He knows I could have given him something better, but I chose to give him the apple. So who should he be upset with if he doesn't like his gift? Me. Well, do you know your real issue? Do you know who your real issue is with when you're, when you're jealous? Your real issue is with God. And here's what you're saying. God, you owe me. God, you owe me a different body type. You owe me more money. You owe me a better IQ. You owe me that family. I don't like my family. You owe me that job. And let me just tell you this. This is what you got to carry out of here. Not only that you think God owes you, but here's what you have to carry out of here. Your problem is not with them. Your problem is with him. It's all, it's all a God problem. They can't solve your problem. The best they can do is fail so that you'll feel a little bit better about yourself. Your real issue is God ripped you off and you're mad about it. God could have given you a different family. He could have put you in a different city. He could have kept you from having that wreck. He could have given you more talented kids. He could have given you an Apple iPod touch. But he gave me an apple. That's not fair. Well, here's the deal. God never claimed to be fair. Show me in scripture. It's not in there. He didn't claim to be fair. After sin entered the world with Adam and Eden, Eve in the Garden of Eden, fairness disappeared from the planet forever until Jesus comes back. God has chosen to do whatever he wants to do with gifts and talents and skills and wealth. I'm going to show you a couple examples from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, where this, where this idea comes from. Um, we're going to look at Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, the Israelites have been taken captive. They've been destroyed and taken to another uh, country, to Babylon. And they're in captivity. They destroyed the temple, everything. And see, here's what happened. Israel started looking around at the other nations and they said, we want what they have. We want what they have. God, you're not enough. We want what they have. And God had sent all of these prophets to say, if you keep going the direction you're going, I'm going to destroy you. It's going to happen. I'm going to remove you from this land until you acknowledge me. And so they kept going, kept going. Eventually God destroys them. They're taken off to Babylon. And Daniel is one of them that's chosen to be um, an advisor to the new king, a pagan king, one who did not acknowledge that there was a God of the universe, one who believed himself was a God. And so what happens is this pagan king has this dream and in the dream, it's bad. What's going to happen is bad. And nobody could interpret the dream until Daniel comes in. Daniel sees or listens to the dream. And the Bible says that like the, the it doesn't say this exactly, but, but the, the, the color drained out of him. He was distraught when he heard this. And the king says, it's okay, Daniel, you can tell me what's going on. He says, okay, here's what's going to happen to you, king. He said, I wish it was your enemies, but this is what's going to happen to you. And so he was upset that he had to tell the king about this. He said, king, you're, you're, you're going to be judged by, the, by my God. You're going to lose your mind and you're going to go out and you're going to act like a cow. You are going to, you're going to eat what cows eat. You're going to think you're a cow. You're going to do all of that stuff. You're going to act like a cow. When it rains, you're going to be out there. When it's cold, you're going to be out there. You're going to be in the wilderness like a cow. And the king's like, okay, whatever. About a year later, this, this is what the Bible says. A year later, the king's walking around and, and he says, my kingdom is magnificent and I have done all this. And the Bible says the words were in his mouth when God struck him with insanity. And they took him out and he thought he was a cow. And the Bible says that he stayed out there eating what cows eat, acting like a cow out in the weather until the moment that he acknowledged the living God. Now there's no indication that he became a believer, 
But he finally says, there's a God and I'm not it. And God restores his kingdom. And then he writes this letter to everybody. He says, you need to know about Daniel's God. And here's what he says in Daniel 4.35. He, talking about Daniel's God, he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? You gave her what, God? You let him what? This pagan king says, no one has a right to say that to the living God. And see, this pagan king learned something you and I need to learn, and here it is. God answers to no one. That's the definition of being God with a capital G. You answer to no one. He does what he wants to with talents, skills, and ability. You don't have a right. The message in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you don't have a right to say, that's not fair, God, because you're saying to him, I think I could do a better job than you. Here's what David said. Now, remember David, king, he becomes the king by whom every other king was measured in the nation of Israel. He was considered the greatest king. He started out as a shepherd boy, the youngest of seven sons. They didn't even bother to invite him when, when, um, when the prophet shows up and says, hey, one of your sons is going to be king. They didn't even invite him because he was the youngest. He was out with the sheep, and that was the lowest job in society. And then when he becomes king and he is... He has no more wars to fight, and he's about to give off his kingdom to Solomon. He has riches, he has fame, he has everything. Here's what David says in 1 Chronicles 29, 12. Riches and honor come from you. He's talking about God. Riches and honor come from whom? From God. You rule everything. Who rules everything? God. You have the power and the strength to make anyone great and strong, which means he also has the power and strength to make anyone not so great and not so strong. Get to the New Testament. Paul talks about believers in Christ, and he says that the, the Holy Spirit, there's one Holy Spirit. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit, there's this Trinity, and one God. And he says, God the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to believers, at least one to every believer, so that everyone, they can build up the church. Everyone has at least one gift. To one person he might give wisdom, another knowledge, another faith, another administration, another mercy. And then look what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. Who distributes the gifts? The one and only what? Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And then look at this. He alone decides which gift each person should have. God gives spiritual gifts to people so that the church can be built up. But he didn't give the same gift to everyone. He doesn't give everybody all the gifts. He gives you a gift as he sees fit. It says, he alone decides. Who alone decides? God does. You don't have a right, the pagan king says, to say, you did what, God? You do not understand who God is when you do that. See, when I look at you, and I don't like you because of what you have, the kids, the car, your hair, your spouse... The best thing I can do, the best thing you can do is stop and say, my problem's not with them. My problem is with him. God, you're the problem in this equation, not my boss, not my sister, not my neighbor. I want to think they're the problem, but they're not. The real issue is I'm mad at you, God, because you owe me something better than what I'm living. Now, if this makes you feel uncomfortable, good. That's the point. Maybe you're about to have a breakthrough with jealousy. Get on your knees today. Some of you may need to come up to this altar at the end of this time and say, God, truth is I've been mad at you for a long time and I've been taking it out on everybody else. And, and once you're honest with God, I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. It says this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not what? Oh, come on, God. 
Love is not jealous. That's the opposite of love. Uh, ah! Paul says you cannot obey God when you have envy in your heart. You cannot love when there's jealousy or envy in your heart. Then it continues. It, love, does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in what? Well, I don't delight in evil. Oh. Oh, you just discovered a bald spot. That's not evil. That's just reality. Oh, you just wrecked your car. Oh, yes. That's the opposite of love. Oh, you just got pregnant and gained 75 pounds. One of, my, one of the girls at my 10-year reunion, one of the girls I grew up with, she had, I don't even know what it was, but she had this, her first child, she gained over 100 pounds of water weight. She was Janie's size, and, and when she had her baby, she was not Janie's size. And there were people who rejoiced that someone small had something happen, and that's, that's sick. Love does not celebrate when bad stuff happens to other people. That's the opposite of love. Where'd that come from? It came from your sick, jealous heart. So if you want to get rid of it, I'm going to tell you how to get rid of jealousy today. Three steps. First, admit this. I believe God owes me. She bothers me because something God has given to her. He could have, should have given to me. You got to admit that and get it out in the open. Second, confess your jealousy too, and you fill in the blank. If I'm jealous with my brother, I need to tell my brother. I don't need to tell you, and that's gossip. That's for another day. Tell the person that you are jealous of. They know you don't like them. They know you treat them poorly. They don't know why. They just think you're an idiot. <laughs> Confess it to them. I had, I've done this, and then I've had this done to me, and, and where somebody said, hey, man, I, I just got to tell you, I've been treating you poorly because, because I was jealous of this, and I'm going, and, and I almost laugh out loud because I'm like, really? You're, you don't know me if you're jealous of me. I'm an idiot. Don't be jealous of me. But here's what happens. When somebody confesses that to you, your heart moves closer. So you confess to them. And then you're ready for the habit. Every week we've been talking about a habit that breaks this, this enemy of your heart. Here's the habit. Celebrate the people who make you jealous. Celebrate the people who make you jealous. Celebrate out loud to their face. Celebrate out loud behind their back. If you love their car, you say, I love your car. You don't be insincere, but you say, I love your car. If you love their house, you, love the, you say it. I love that idea. That's awesome. I told you I've been playing a lot of golf lately, and, and uh, I've played in these scrambles. A scramble is where, like a two-man scramble is, if my partner and I, we both hit a tee shot, whichever shot is best, we hit from that the second shot, and then whichever shot is best, you hit from there. And so um, several months ago, I was playing. I've been playing out at Wildcat. I've played in two-man scrambles, three-man scrambles, four-man scrambles, and that just means that's how many people on your team. You take the best shot, and then you keep your score, and you try to win and all that stuff. Well, I, was, I, I just showed up one night, and, and I didn't have any partner and that's a dumb idea, but I just decided to show up and he partnered me with this guy. And so we start playing. We actually end up getting second place that night, won a little prize for second place. But during the, during the night, and I didn't know, I'd met him once, but didn't know anything about him. So we're playing against these guys I'd never met before. And we start playing and, and, and I start realizing that this guy is being really, really rude. So like in golf, etiquette says, if somebody's putting, you don't go, hey, when they're on their backswing. Right? Or if they're, if, they're about to, if they're about to hit a tee shot, you, you don't say anything or, or do something stupid in, in the middle of their backswing. This guy was doing it all. 
And, and my first thought was, they must be really good friends, because only really good friends treat friends like that. Janie used to say to me, I can't believe Chris is your friend, because y'all are so rude to each other. I'm like, baby, we just love each other. That's how we show love, right? So I felt so bad on one hole. I go to these two guys, my, my guy's over in a ditch somewhere looking for a ball. And so I said, I said, do you know this guy? And they said, we've never seen him before in our lives. And I said, I'm so sorry. See, my habit, when I'm out on the golf course, and it, it is a habit. If somebody hits a good shot, I go, good shot. Dude, that was awesome. And it's totally sincere. And what I've noticed is people kind of like playing with me, not because I'm good, but because I'm nice. You know what I noticed about the other guy? No one wants to play with him because his heart is sick. Celebrate sincerely someone else's success. Because when you do, you say, you say to jealousy, you've been in my heart far too long. You're coming out today. You're going to lose this battle. I'm, I'm unhooking that, that arrow and I'm unhooking the leash that Satan has on me. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate. And you watch how many people are drawn to you. And you celebrate somebody and they're going to hear about it and they're going to go, is she high? Because she's never said anything nice about me before. And probably for the first time in your relationship, probably for the first time when you're kind and you celebrate, you're going to get to point them to God, not to your sick, jealous heart. That's the purpose of the church. It's the purpose of being redeemed so that we can point others to our Redeemer. Last verse and we're done. Paul told the Romans in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And, and as a church, but as the church universal, I think we've been a lot better at mourning with people who mourn than we have been at celebrating with people who celebrate because of our sick, jealous hearts. We have to be known. We have to be known as people who celebrate a risen Savior, who celebrate the victories of others who follow that same risen Savior. That's the goal. Would you bow your heads? I've got a few questions for you. How's your heart today? Are you avoiding anyone because you're jealous of what they have? Do you think they are your problem? Do you celebrate when something bad happens to them? It's time to stop. Father, bring your word to our hearts today and root out this sickness called jealousy and teach us what it means to celebrate the victories of others. And then God, as we do that, I know you're gonna bless us with rich relationships and opportunities to influence people in the kingdom of God. Turn new life into a celebrating church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.